0: This week on the Dragzine Podcast, engine builder Pete Harrell joins us to talk about his racing career, kind of what got him into engine building, and his time on the 10K drag shootout. So pull those belts tight. Get ready to put in the beams. The Dragzine Podcast starts now. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Dragazine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, the always entertaining Pete Harrell joins us, and we get to kind of hear about how he got into engine building and his experiences on and building different kinds of engines, tuning and driving and everything else. It's a it's always a fun time when you got when, when you get to talk to Pete. So uh, without further ado, let's get this drag racing party started. All right, my guest this week on the Dragzine Podcast is engine builder and man about town, Pete Harrell. What's going on, Pete?
1: Not much. How are you doing?
0: Doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, just enjoying this late season burst of drag racing and then, you know, we'll get like a week off and then the season starts right up again, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much nowadays. That's what we were talking about the other day. It hardly, hardly ever stops. It's like a year-round thing in some cases.
0: Yeah, that's what Ron Rhodes we were talking about too on the podcast. I really started thinking about that, and I was looking at you know in a normal year schedule. I'm like, there is a big heads up race somewhere every month of the year now.
1: Yeah, right. And in, in, in as a matter of fact, with the type of racing that I'm mostly involved in, which is radial racing, it's almost like there's a little break in the middle of the summer. Yeah, right? because who wants to race radials in you know uh, the end of July? Stoop, stupid. <laughs> Nobody people. that knows much about radials. <laughs> you know. So um I'm not in any any rush to get to the to a drag race in the middle of July and run on radials.
0: Yeah, there I've been in a couple of series, like you know, up at the uh, up at Mile in Michigan, they do their uh, they we used to participate in their Saturday shootout series and yeah, the uh, the July August races, even in Michigan, it's like you you know going into that, all right, we're gonna have to put the most conservative tune up in possible just to see who's going to make it down the first, you know, for a pedal fest. That's what it comes right. down to in radio racing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've actually made this suggestion and thought about, I think it would be, or maybe whether or not it would be a good idea to ban the use of radials, say from the end of June until early September. <laughs> force everybody to only run slicks. I think everybody would have a better time. The spectators would get a better show. And uh, life in general will be better.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Because anybody that's tried to tune a high horsepower radial car knows that when th- that temperature gets to a certain level, it's no matter how good the track prep is, it's still going to be a tra- crapshoot because you've got to pull so much out just to try yeah. to maybe make it down the track.
1: Yeah, and even then, it's it's a it's a roll of the di- roll of the dice a lot of times. You know? yeah.
0: yeah, because yeah, you 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 could absolutely nail what you need to do on the starting line, but at the 60-feet mark when, you know, the friction gods decide that they don't like, you know, your tune-up anymore and the track surface is smoked, you're going to kick the tires.
1: Yeah, that's right. A lot of it just comes down to lane choice and, you know. Luck. uh, Serendipity. Yeah. (laughs) That's it.
0: Which, you know, you you bring up an interesting point there, racing on slicks. I would love to see that just to see – at that point, I think you would see who the good tuners and teams are right there yeah, that, right. that would separate them out
1: yeah well uh now that you bring that up i started on slicks because back then that's all there was really you know and uh uh recently i've been involved in the no prep stuff a little bit which at first i absolutely hated and thought was a terrible idea but anyhow that's put us back on slicks and uh i've kind of realized hey this is pretty cool I like these things. You know, I forgot how it's nice to go down the track a lot. Yeah. (laughs) you know, It
0: it brings up a very interesting point there that like, you know, Chad Reynolds has talked about this too, that, you know, radio racing produces some cool stuff, but there's, you have to put this big asterisk at the end of it. However, if things are not perfect for certain levels of these cars, they do not go down the track period.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That with with the radial thing, it's either go or nothing, <laughs> you know.
0: Whereas a slick is a lot more forgiving, and it makes things a lot more interesting. And it's it's funny you bring up the whole no prep deal because man, I had the same attitude before. I was like, yeah. "This is stupid." And then you start yeah. going to the races and you check it out, and then the light bulb goes on, and you're like, "Oh, this is why people like this at the track."
1: Yeah, right. That's it, you know. And and the other thing is, as racers, I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we're kind of in the entertainment industry, you know, and, uh, drag racing, a lot of the time makes for terrible entertainment because what it really means is that you're trying to charge somebody to sit there and watch a tractor go up and down the track. Yeah. <laughs> and that, That's a hard sell, you know? Um, so maybe part of the reason that tracks have a hard time getting crowds anymore is because the, uh, the entertainment offered, you know, could use a little tune up <laughs>
0: oh no to- I totally <laughs> yeah, agree sucks. there there is a local uh racing association for a while that they did like eleven fifty nine fifty eight fifty index racing then they had an outlaw limited street class where you could run slicks or radials and most of the time we were on slicks just because the track just couldn't prep for a high horsepower radial cars so or like Let's toss some slicks on this bitch and get it to go down the track, and guess what? Everybody yeah. else did it, and everybody had fun.
1: That's right. Everybody has fun, and the, at, at the end of the day, the same dude is going to win. <laughs> in my experience, it doesn't really change the, the outcome. Now, if you make a change all of a sudden, it may, ch- it may change it in the short term because the guy who knows how to work the slick is going to come out on top. But sooner or later, the same guys that put in the work and have the know-how and right equipment and so forth, those guys are gonna end up in the uh winner's circle. So
0: you know. Yeah, and that that's what's kind of made the, the no prep evolution like it, it happened in no prep so much faster than what it did in radio racing when you know the money starts getting involved and those teams come in. But it, it's funny that we got to see it in the scale of, you know, a year or two versus how many years it took radio racing, you know, like radio versus the world to get it where it is. And even with no prep racing, it's not a guarantee that those high-dollar teams are always going to come out on top, which is what makes it exciting.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a it's a driver's race, you know, for multitude of reasons, part of which is the format at the starting line, you know. Um, sometimes there's a, you know, maybe an arm drop situation or whatever, which is, you know, like at first as a, you know, drag racer, I would kind of balked at such shenanigans um but over time i've kind of realized you know what in a way no prep is kind of like the most pure form of drag racing there is right yeah <laughs> it's kind of uh you know scale back and and uh get all the you know technological gadgetry out of the way and let's just have two guys line up beside each other and have a race you know and it, uh it, you know it's... so i've, I've kind of come to love it uh, in a roundabout way, I guess you could say.
0: Even with all the technological gadgetry and things that are out there is that you can have every doodad and whiz bang thing that Shannon Davis can pack into your car. But if you want, don't know how to use it and then don't know how to use it in a no prep environment, it is yep. not going to save you at all. If anything, it's going to make you tear up equipment a lot faster.
1: Yeah. Right. You got to have, got to know how to use your stuff. Um, now, I will say this, you know, I'm a big, um, me and Shannon are buddies, and I'm a big, you know, user of, of, of that technology, right? Um, and, uh, but, and, I, and I, I, when I, when I feel the customer needs it, I recommend it for all kinds of cars, drag radio cars and everything. But I will say that in the no prep thing, it is, in my opinion, just crucial. You know, um, like, for example, in, in my experience to date is almost purely with that the beer money car, right? Um, but there's a reason that we can unload on a track we've never been to when it's green as the, the front lawn and everybody else is testing or whatever for the race and struggling, and we can unload, not change the tune-up, and go right down that thing, right? <laughs> and that reason is that is that wheel speed management. You know, yeah, and it kind of it kind of baffles me that some of the no prep crowd is late to get on that bandwagon. You know, because uh, or they're they're out there running. I call it barefoot. You know, and uh, that that ain't gonna work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> with the drag radial thing, it's different. You know, the don't get me wrong, it's important, but it's it's less. It's a smaller piece of the pie, in my opinion. You know, but it's a huge piece of the pie in the no prep scene. You know.
0: Wheel speed management is something that fascinates me and something I'm going to have to learn with one of the cars that I'm building right now. Because the more horsepower you put down with a slick, especially a small slick, is it is no. so crucial to keep that, you know, in a happier place if you want to go fast. You'll get down the track, but it just it's going to dictate if you, if you don't have a handle on wheel speed, you ain't going to get there very fast.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it, it's, you know, the term wheel speed management. To me, it really um, correlates with slick racing more than uh, radial racing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're doing the same thing, but with a radial, there you're either right or you're wrong. Like, as soon as it slips, it's it's pretty much over, right? Um, uh, you know, you can there's things you can do to get to get it back, but you have to get it back completely, right? With a slick, you know, you're trying to slip that thing to a certain extent, and it's much much more tolerant to wheel speed. Um, changes. So if you slip a little bit, the uh, the car's, you know, even still accelerating and it gives you time for the TC or, you know, uh, whatever to get things back under control. So uh, with a slick, it's just way more tolerant to, um, you know, the uh, uncertainties of no prep racing.
0: And the thing that with some of the no prep stuff, I've gone to Outlaw again several times, and they take it to the next level because they scrape the track and then they move the starting line forward like an X amount of feet and then we've been at that event too where someone absolutely grenaded an engine on the starting line, oil everywhere, and they basically said, "Alright, we're going to move every, you know, we're not going to prep this, we can't prep this, we're not going to get this right, so we're going to move the starting line forward another 20 feet."
1: That yeah.
0: <laughs> that right there is you talk about throwing people for a loop.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. It totally changes things, you know. And that's the thing that, you know, with a slick, it's less of a change, you know, because you can tolerate a little bit of extra wheel speed, you know, or whatever, and still not have a just... All right, well we're not moving anymore, type situation. Yeah. you know, um, that's that's the difference between two tires, you know.
0: And you know, my first kind of exposure to small tire racing was some of the 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 local, you know, smaller outlaw ten five shows, and then you know the ADRLs, you know, extreme outlaw ten five deal that they had. And to me, that was some of the most exciting racing because, I mean, the cars would get down the track, but. You know, still there would be a lot of uh, there'd still be a lot of driving you know going on when you have a basically a blown alcohol engine on a slick on a tiny slick in a door car that makes things interesting.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: I'm I'm a proponent that I think that they should move outlaw ten five completely back to slicks. Period. No more radials. It's got to be on a slick.
1: Yeah. Right. Um. Uh. That's the thing. And you know, and the other thing, the other aspect of this. Is it makes it a whole lot easier on the racetracks yeah you know, um these racetracks you can talk to any of them they're not a big fan of having to buy truckloads of of uh you know lc7 or, or pj or whatever um to get the track ready for a one-day event you know um not to mention the you know the tire rotators the hours of dragging and scraping and you know i mean to, don't get me wrong to some extent that happens with any type of you know track prep but with the drag radial stuff it's just over the top and yeah you know, don't don't get me don't misunderstand me i am a radio racer and i love radio racing you know but uh at some you know i, I can also see where this <laughs> i understand where the track guys get upset you know and some of them don't want anything to do with it you know with oh. the radial thing in general you know so
0: yeah and i think that circles back to the fact that as is a racing community. We need to look at the idea that we have to, you know, put a better show on for the fans because you see people post pictures, you know, back in the '70s and even the '80s of pack stands. Well, that was when you know before pre technology and people were pulled ten thousand directions. But even yeah, before, right before pulled that out of the equation, even then it was a show, you know. Yeah, and it's right. to me, I it blows my mind that so many tracks don't utilize the free advertising of youtube and social media to make it more of a show it's like they they don't want put the effort into it i, I right. do not understand that
1: right and and what they they their business model now is is basically i guess to try to generate their income and in, exclusively off the racers you know which is i understand but at the same time i think that everybody needs to work harder at getting people there to see the race you know if you go to these no prep races you know, look at it from a track owner's perspective. He can have a no prep race. Uh, we went we went to a big one here, right here in town, Mooresville, the, the other day. And it was that, that we heard the biggest crowd they they've had since the seventies, right? The place was just unbelievably packed. The track has to do absolutely nothing. Right? If they prep it, people are gonna be mad, right? So look at look at it from their perspective, right? They got the biggest crowd they've had in, in decades. And they had to do no work, right? So, the the, the correlation between the two—it's one—is not dependent on the track prep in a lot of cases. It's there's something else involved in the entertainment factor there. Oh, you know
0: what? I still can't with the purification of top just top sportsman cars, fast top sportsman cars. Why don't more tracks do like a quick eight or a quick sixteen shootout, and you advertise the hell out of it? You run them heads up you know, on top of your normal bracket race. It's not right. Like, right in the middle.
1: Yeah. Somehow. Yeah.
0: You know, that way the bracket racers aren't getting pissed because they have multiple tons of downtime and radial prep and, you know, right. you're getting people in the stands and then by George, some of them might go, Hey, uh, I can't go quick 16 fast, but you know, I've got my 68 Camaro with the double pumper carburetor and the heads. I'll come out here and, you know, run in the streetcar class.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. I think that uh, racetracks need to do more to kind of cross-pollinate things a little bit somehow.
0: And again, it it, it comes down to, you know, knowing your market. And even if you have a show where you bring in, you know, a cup, if you've got like four or six, you know, local or recently-ish local alcohol, funny cars or dragsters, bring them in for a shootout on a Friday night, book them in. You're right. It's going to be worth your time. And they're going to and they're going to like getting track hits. It's a win. win. Yeah. Yeah, Right. But what the hell do we know? Right. We just kind of show up and do stuff. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, far be it from me to tell a track owner how to make money. I'm, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it's easy I, for me to say. Yeah, it, yeah. I I try not to be one of those internet experts that knows the answers to everything on a business that I really don't do. You know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And kind of speaking on the business side of things, you know, you're you're a man that's lived a thousand interesting lives. You know, how did you? how did you get into drag racing? You know, cause I, I know you're an accomplished saxophone player, but how, did, uh, how, how, how did you end up building engines, engine, tuning cars and even driving?
1: Yeah. Well, see, I thought this interview was going to be about saxophone playing, but I, you know, here we are talking about drag racing. Yeah. So don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyhow. So, um, my story, I guess you could say really starts with the coast guard. Um, I was in the coast guard for four years right out of high school. Um, and it was a fantastic experience. I would recommend to anybody. Um, and then, but for some reason, which I consider a mistake to this day, I got out um, at the age of, you know, 22 or something. And, uh, but in the Coast Guard, I, I wasn't really into hot rods at all before that. My dad was a mechanic, but, you know, we weren't really into, you know, on a, you know, practical level, we weren't into racing or anything. I really was not into that at all. But in the Coast Guard, I had a, a buddy or two that were into hot riding. And uh, one thing led to another. We'd tinker with that. And I guess I kind of had a little bit of an aptitude t- towards it. And I got, actually, I got into painting cars, auto body type stuff. And when I, when I got out of the Coast Guard, I did that. I, I did the auto body thing for, um, professionally at a kind of an entry level. I wasn't, I'm never going to claim to be some kind of master body mechanic because I wasn't. But I did that for a year and a half or so. And then I took a job at basically a speed shop. Um, like, and I'm sure this story is kind of familiar to a lot of people. But I worked there for probably several years, and uh, you know, eventually that kind of you know petered out. And then I uh, I've worked as a welder, and while I was doing my own thing on the with uh, racing engines on the side. And then eventually that turned into just, all right, well, let's do this full time, you know, which was kind of a gradual um, transformation, I guess you'd say. Um, and really, the reason I guess you could say I'm an engine builder and not somebody that works on hot rods or whatever is because at the time where I was located, I took, you know, parts I needed worked on, heads or blocks or whatever, to a local machine shop. And uh i didn't know anything about it at the time but i did know that what i was getting back couldn't have been right um <laughs> i knew that um i didn't know exactly what was wrong but you know uh, this if i can see daylight through this valve job something is not quite jiving here yeah
0: you know?
1: <laughs> so that led to uh well it eventually led to purchase of equipment you know i would buy a I can't remember what the fir- I think if I remember right the first well, I had I had a uh, probably the first piece of equipment I bought was a, a flow bench um, it was a machine called a JKM um, they're not around anymore but I still got a flow bench like JKM flow bench but um it's an excellent machine but anyhow uh, that was the first machine that I had that I really um, th- then I had the way to quantify my results like because uh, I took the head porting I did a for years I, I just I say I, I just rode around on that flow bench you know 12 14 hours a day um, and I would port heads and with the flow bench right wrong or indifferent I could quantify all right well is this an improvement did we go backwards what happened here right and then because of the flow bench I began to understand how important or we could be curious about how important the valve job was right so that led to the acquisition of a, a seat and guide machine um, and I still have the same one today um, and uh, so with that then I could you know I could do valve jobs seats whatever needed to be done um, and then one thing led to another Nick next, next it was a, a, a head decking machine and you know a valve grinder and you know next thing you know you got a machine shop and you don't really know how it happened but it just you know. <laughs> <laughs> a gradual transformation, I guess you could say. You know,
0: oops. All of a sudden I'm building engines, you know, it just kind of happened.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know,
0: you know that to me, that's, it's interesting that you kind of went down that path and, you know, it, when you, when you see how you operate, it definitely shows that you're very quantitative and in, in how you do things and how you do it. Is that how you also got into, you know, the, the dyno and the tuning side of things as well?
1: Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Um, so, yeah, back in the early days, you know, um, I didn't, didn't have access to a dyno. And it, it, it wasn't even something that we even went to. Like, I had never been to a dyno until I had a dyno, right? Because um, it was, for whatever reason, it was just considered to be out of our realm of financial possibility. <laughs> um, in, in, in hindsight, it probably might have been a good idea. go you know it wasn't as bad as I probably thought it was but um, for whatever reason I had we didn't go down that road Um, but eventually did you know and uh, that was another revelation because then I could you know not uh, not only quantify results on say a flow bench or whatever but now I could see all right does this engine change more make more power or less power blow up or not and then also the uh, direct and instantaneous results of tuning changes right um were quantifiable on a on a dyno you know which is specifically what they're for but um so that was a revelation for me and led to you know a million hours playing with various things there both on engine dynos and um chassis dynos
0: and that's the thing that you know a lot of people don't realize is a lot of your your better engine builders and tuners have that inquisitive mind where it's it's almost like a toddler where, where you just you're going, why why you're always yeah. trying to find that why and how right. to you know answer the next question you haven't asked yet
1: yeah right yeah well and the other thing is this like with engine builders you have a lot of them I would say the majority of them that for the most part and maybe they're smarter than me for this financially right they um, they they build engines they stay at their shop and they build engines right and they you know and, and from, a, from a financial standpoint that's probably a much more prudent way to be right but for me that never made sense right I had to be at the track and see what was happening right it's it's different for me if somebody let's say you're an engine builder and Monday morning one of your customers comes back and says yeah well we ran pretty good but we hurt the piston we tore something up and you know this is what happened uh, this is why we think it happened or whatever whereas you know you everybody knows situations where somebody will tell you something but then you'll find out later yeah that's what happened but also this happened right yeah. <laughs> and this other thing and if you weren't at the track you don't know about any of that right so by being at the racetrack i had a you know i could have a direct correlation between the results of the the uh, um you know racing and the uh, you know correlation between the input right what, what do we do to get to this point you know so uh, for me the tuning side of things and the engine building side of things were inseparable um but very often i don't think that is the case you know um and i'm not saying that the other way is you know like i say i think you can definitely make more money operating the other way right um but for me i never understood that that that, that didn't make sense to me i had to be there you know, um, uh, on the other end, you know, so
0: it, it makes the CSI investigation of how the piston and valve kissed a lot easier, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's just it, you know. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of possibilities when you have something fail or, or or burn a piston or whatever, there's a lot of things that can go into it, you know. And uh, and I think over the years, you know, uh, I've gained a quite a bit of know how. Because of that, right, um, <laughs> you know, may not could be immediately converted into financial um, gains, but um, there is a there is a, a pretty good amount of information that you glean from all this over the years, you know. Um, and You know, I'm not the only guy that operates that way. I'm sure there are others, you know.
0: Yeah, you, you know, I, I did R&D testing for some, some Nitro RC companies for a couple of years, Mm-hmm. And they would literally want to know if there is a failure, everything that happened. They wanted to know your carb settings. They wanted to know what fuel you were running, you know, any information you could give them so they could try to start figuring out, you know, what happened.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah that's right. And and that's the other thing. You know, that's why, that's why that RC company gave you that opportunity because they realized, all right, well, this guy can give us good information, you know and with racers any engine builder tell you will tell you that some of the racers give you better information than others right um uh and, and not by not because they're trying to give you bad information just because some of them have a you know more mechanical mind or more experienced in this area or whatever and you know um they're a little more keen on that type of thing, and the information that you get from working with them is more useful. You know.
0: Now, kind of going off of that too, there's something I didn't realize, and we, you know, we touched on it a little bit in the, the pre-interview. Was I was researching something for an article, and I came off, came came across something where you were listed as the driver of a vehicle. You know, mm-hmm. what was you know kind of go over you know your 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 stint behind the wheel of some of these cars.
1: Yep. Okay, so well, years ago, I drove a lot of them, um, and for various reasons, sometimes it's because the owner, you know, maybe couldn't, you know, going fast is all about testing, right? And sometimes the owner can't be at the test; they got a they got a real job or whatever, you know, and uh, and and if we're gonna test, it's gonna be me, right? So there was a lot of that that probably went on, and then there's a lot of guys that you know they didn't really weren't interested in driving the car they're out there um, um, you know what they got from drag racing was as, as a car owner or team member or whatever you want to call it and they they liked doing that side of things but they weren't really concerned with driving the car you know um, uh, Rick Hendrick or, or you know Richard shoulders they don't they don't drive the you know, the number three car around the track every weekend. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not their, um, what they're interested in, you know? So I, that job fell to me cause I was dumb enough to do it. And, uh, so I, for years I did quite a bit of that. Um, really the only reason I ever quit was because, um, it just got to the point where I was tuning so many cars involved in so many operations that it, it made it uh, a bad idea to be, um, it's hard for me to tune six or seven at the track when I'm driving one you know um, that doesn't work you know so no I had to step out of the driver's seat years ago and I haven't really been back in since you know and uh, I'm, honestly I couldn't because I don't know where my driver's suit is at so <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I, I've seen some guys make some hits and you know you know a single air jacket some jeans shorts so you know you're good it'll be it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, well that's the thing back. When I was driving, you know, I had good stuff, but you know, nowadays everything's on alcohol. You need three or four thousand dollars or more worth of safety equipment to get strapped in. Well, I'm not doing that.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I'm too tall to wear anybody else's. So, it, uh, I just I don't have anything to do with that anymore.
0: Do, do Do you think that that's kind of you know that experience you know helped you even more when it comes to to building and tuning when you got to really sit in the car to get an idea on what these things do.
1: Yep, um, here's a few examples. One, it's you know, it's been a long time, and I never claimed to be some kind of expert driver, but I can say that um, we occasionally, and I've, I've been able to offer drivers, newer drivers, a little bit of help, right? If we're gonna go to the track and get data, we've gotta be able to make repeatable passes, do burnouts, do all those little things, right? And sometimes, you know, um, I can offer advice on, all right, you know, even stuff like how they hold the trans break button, right? Like, you'd be amazed at how many times you can improve people's reaction time. Just face, look, hold it this way. Do this. And next thing you know, they picked up 20, 30 numbers. And they're like, wow, that's way better. You know, just little things like that that if I had never done that kind of thing, I wouldn't be able to offer Any input, you know, so that definitely plays a part, you know.
0: I think it's interesting. You can draw a conclusion like that why you see some coaches, some ex-players that are really good coaches in stick and ball sports because they've been there and done that and they have the experience. And they might not have been, you know, an all-star Super Bowl winner, but they have that game time experience that then they can impression, you know, bring upon their players, and it makes just everybody better across the board
1: yeah well i'm you know, I would say, who wants a a, a football coach that's never played football? yeah <laughs> probably nobody, you know, so you know like i say i, I make no claims to being um you know uh John force, <laughs> but <laughs> but it helps to have been in the seat you know in the past to have to understand what the driver goes through, you know, and I've also learned. You know, uh, I, a lot of times I would learn to totally trust the data afterwards, right? Uh, you know, tell the driver, they say, oh, I didn't lift. And I'm like, well, the data says you did. You know, I didn't. Well, yeah, you did. <laughs> you yeah. totally did, you know. Um, but at the same time, I have learned that some drivers have a kind of innate ability to know when something's not right. And I've learned over the years to listen to that, right? Um, you know, uh, that's paid off a time or two. You know, at first I would be like, oh, you're, there's no way. You know, that doesn't make any sense at all. But sometimes, you know, these guys do know, hey, this thing, something, this, something's not quite right here. And with some of them, I still ignore it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah,
1: But but with some of them, I've learned, okay, well, maybe, hold on, let's take a look here. Let's see what's going on, you know.
0: You know, what's some of the more, the, you know, some of the more interesting projects you've been able to be involved in where it's, you know, it's turned out to be something you didn't quite expect or, you know, it's turned out to be really, you know, pretty wild.
1: Okay. Well, I don't know. There's been so many over the years. Um, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, anybody that sticks with me for a while, we end up doing, I think interesting things a lot of times, you know, um, And that's really what it comes down to so so if you go back to anything early enough to be on anybody's radar one of the first ones that was kind of a big deal was the Vader car
0: yeah Um, yeah
1: from years ago this was the kind of the car that introduced I guess you could say the large frame to um, X stuff or kind of made it the problem right So, um, we came out with this new edge Mustang that at the time was chassis wise, you know, um, not, not junk to say the least. It was, it was a nice car. And, uh, and we had a large frame, um, 88 on there. If I remember right, it was the first one Precision did, right. And, uh, we kind of ran the table there for a little bit with that thing and, uh, so that was a, a big, a popular car, I guess you could say, at the time. Um, since then, there's been a million ones. There was a Chad Branson's Warbird, um, which was we everybody referred to it as the Fart because it was a Dodge Dart with a Ford motor. Um, yeah. But that one was a very well-known car, and it, for a while, it was kind of it ran at the top of that. That situation. Yeah, um, I remember
0: that car running next because it had that uh, military theme paint job on it.
1: Yeah, it had a war themed, uh, you know, livery. I guess you'd say. Um, and it was a really, really popular car. Um, one of these days, I'd probably be back out. Um, and then, uh, well, Brad Edwards' um, car. Brad started working with me. Um, I don't know when. I'd say I don't know it's probably been eight or nine years ago something like that Brad probably tell you um, but that ended up being the uh, after pretty much completely being re-engineered um, that was the first three second radio car right um, and at the time that wasn't very popular because a lot of people spend a lot of money to uh, to be the first and it didn't work out, you know. But um, that was at the time the first three second radio car and it's still to this day the world's fastest stock suspension car. Um, now it runs 360s in very similar form. Um, so um, that's one. Um, I don't know. There's a, many, a million of them here. Recently, the one that's kind of been making a splash is the Beer Money car, right? And to be honest with you, that's one we've really just had a lot of fun with because it's um, the expectations are so low <laughs> that, that anything feels like a victory. Um, and uh, it's just a fun, you know, we've had fun doing a no prep thing with that thing. So,
0: And that's a great transition into, you know, talking about the 10K drag shootout because we just debuted season three, which ironically enough is a no prep edition. Right. And, you know, for me, the 10K drag shootout Is interesting because I get to be kind of on the inside and see a lot of like, you know, helping develop the show, being a part of the writing process, documenting everything. And that first season with Beer Money, like, I wish people could understand how wild all of that really was because on the production side, nobody had any clue what was going to happen. Like, we were like, we knew what we wanted to happen. Right, but, but when we, you know, we pulled the pin and threw the grenade, it was like, all right, well, we're strapped in now. Let let's see how this happens. And in in my opinion, it unfolded beautifully.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, well, I think. You now I haven't seen the third season, but um, there was something to me kind of magical about the first one. You know, um, I guess just the cast of characters that were involved and the way things shook out. It was just a, you know kind of hard to duplicate probably, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin four. Um, it's hard to come back with, you know, something else, (laughs) but, you know,
0: after three years, it's definitely interesting that every season has its own flavor. And like, you know, with what you guys built with beer money, I mean, you guys kind of set the bar with how you succeed at, building one of these cars and people every year they you know we get the you know the people that reply oh I could do that this is easy yada 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 and you know every everybody's a gangster till it's time to do gangster shit right
1: yeah right yeah but the, the the um that's just it and and uh so you know the team my team on on the show obviously everybody part of the advantage that we had coming into that show, Is that we were kind of ready-made right we already work with each other every day you know um, in a lot of cases and uh, so and we we, we're not the most high funded operation on a daily basis so when we went to California for the show ain't a whole lot changed if anything everything was evened up right because everybody had the same amount of money and uh, you know we weren't at a disadvantage to start with right and from day one biggin and everybody wanted to build a car that was engineered within the, the, the you know financial restrictions but engineered to keep doing this after after we won the race right? <laughs> and and you know that's part of the reason that that beer money does what it does today because it's essentially the same car you know Um, And, uh, you know, now it's, you know, very successful, at least on a regional level, um, in a totally different type of racing, um, with really, without even changing much, you know, so, um, you know, and that was, like I said, if you're going to do that, you got to do that from day one of the show, right? You got to build it where, all right, not only is it going to make it for 10 days and one day of racing or whatever, but it's going to keep doing it in some kind of usable form afterwards.
0: Yeah. Oh, Every year, you know, some of the crew guys will ask, you know, who you got your money on? And my answer has always been the same. Whoever has the highest amount of oil pressure going into the final and is confident that their stuff is not going to blow up is going to win. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) You build those things. It's just like, you know, the late Joe Hunt said, we ain't here for a long time. We're here for a good time. And that's how a lot of, you know, some of those guys approach those builds is like, we don't, they, they calculate out exactly how many runs it has to make, and anything beyond that is bonus money.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you have to kind of strike some kind of balance, you know. Um, like we ran, we kept running that motor for quite a while afterwards, right?
0: Yeah. You
1: know, obviously it had stock LT rods, and eventually one of them, one of them went through the side of the block. But, you know, it was, we, you can't build it trying to make six laps, right um because that's too much of a crapshoot you know um if it makes it five and a half that's probably not enough you know yeah so you've got to make it with some some insurance in there you know and uh
0: well you guys like you said the biggest thing is like how the team functions and that's the thing again that i get to see from that the higher level is you get to see how all these teams function and how they do things and how they go about the builds and how they approach them you know, yeah. you have everything from highly organized to, you know, what. to, to me, it's still my favorite one is Disco Dean and his team because they kind of had an idea. Right. <laughs> they thought they knew what they were getting into, and then all of a sudden they didn't, but they still right. persevered and made it work.
1: Yeah, right. They came through, you know. Yeah, but, like, in our case, or, or, or if you look just in general, like, uh, you know, we everybody on our team knew what their job was, we're not we're not arguing, fussing, and fight with each other. Everybody, um, there's no confusion, right? With some of the other teams that are assembled more, I guess you could say haphazardly, um, that they end up having these frictions and you know disagreements and whatnot that cause all kinds. Of, you can't have that, you know. And, and it uh, happens
0: every year.
1: And you'll if you'll notice, I don't know how the third season was, but the first two seasons the The team that that deconstructs the most is the dream team, right? And that's because you take five or six people who probably don't even know each other at all, right? And then you put them in one group, and, uh, you know, the results are uncertain, to say the least, you know. So
0: that's
1: that's a tough position to be in. You know, that's, you know, no fault of theirs. That's just kind of how that works out, you know. You get Don. Right,
0: <laughs> you, right. You, you get the gift of dawn that, that just keeps on giving and giving right, and yeah. giving.
1: Right, yeah.
0: It, again, you know, it, it's interesting to see how all the teams approach what they did. You know, the first year people did the turbo LS stuff, except for Bodie's team, and then the following year, you know, you guys basically went the you know the most underused option, in my opinion, the big block nitrous Chevy one, and well, almost won the whole thing.
1: Yeah, the the uh, the goal was to win it with what had been considered the worst option, right? Um, and the worst performer the year before was the big block Chevrolet. So we're like, okay, well, let's see if we can win it with this. And that's literally the the the, uh, the outlook we took from the beginning, right? And plus, we did consider it a, totally a doable deal, you know. Oh, totally. And you know, and if I think if we didn't, we had some transmission issues that kind of put the kibosh on that but if it wasn't for that we would have done it you know Um, but uh, that motor still the same thing that motor still to get still together today you know Um, but and and it's been super quick but uh, you know the same outlook was was taken as far as the construction of the car you know the motor everything about it you know that car you know, we're so busy with beer money. But if it wasn't for that, we'd be, out, we'd be out with that that thing every weekend, doing the same thing. You know, I'm
0: not gonna lie. I was so excited to know that you guys were gonna get hit with that car. I'm like, this is gonna be pure entertainment when this happens. And right, it's just it's just like make sure you just you get the facial reactions. You're gonna tell it all, and then you know, and then bringing in you know, uh, oh, what's his name to to deliver the car, Dwayne, deliver the car. I'm like, this is just. This is what's gonna make this year fun. And it, and it did. right,
1: yeah. Yeah, right. Well, we were uh, you know, honestly, we had planned our plan for the whole year for, for the whole show was revolved around getting that S10, right? You know, you know, we you know, we go into that, that thing prepared, right? We're we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, you know, we got options here. Got it all mapped out, you know, and then so when you get thrown a curveball like that. You know, it's quite an upset. But, you know, uh by by and large, we uh you know, we we, we have a good time. So, you know, it, we didn't let it bother us and, and the truth of the matter is we we like the car, so you know, and it's essentially a fox body, just kinda
0: it's got some extra you know, material.
1: There's some extra material and some extra links and whatnot, but you know, it works. We had we wouldn't we wouldn't trade it for anything now, you know.
0: Oh yeah. It's it, it, the car has, you know, because of the fire, it has a whole lot of character.
1: Yeah, right. It does. <laughs> you know? Like
0: literally, you know, they they say chicks dig scars and that thing's definitely, you know, it's it's got some character to it now.
1: Yeah, right. Well, whatever we got, we're going to we're going to make it our own. You know, so um, yeah, we had a good time with it,
0: you know. W- we're already trying to plan for season four. And like I said from the beginning, I was like, we have to have a winner's battle Royale. Like we have, like we absolutely have to make that happen because of every, like each team that's won is so different. And then, you know, we'll have to find a way to throw some more curveballs at you, but literally that will be assembling the most insane cast of characters. Oh yeah. on, on, On a TV. Like to me, I, you know the TV show aspect of it. You know it, it. It. When you see how everything's edited together to a point, it's you know entertainment to a point. However, it's everything you see on that show is not manufactured. Trust me. No. It's as no, real it's, as it it's, gets.
1: It's as real as it gets. I've, I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't taken off in a bigger way because to me, I think it's pretty entertaining, pretty well done. You know. Oh yeah. And I'll say this: that the way I look back at that. <clears throat> Uh, the, um, uh, the correlation i use is that, for me, it's, it's kind of like boot camp, right? Uh, anybody who's ever been to real boot camp, you know, boot camp from 20 years ago, I'm sure it's nothing like this now, but it's an extremely tough experience, right? But when you're done, you're kind of glad you did it. Oh, yeah. You're kind of like, okay, well, I'm kind of proud of that. In some strange way, it was a good time right you don't ever want to do it again but you know you don't regret it right um, so the show to me was similar to that you know you have basically 10 days of it is really grueling work you know um especially you know for me i'm getting a little older now and my back and my knees and a lot of stuff really doesn't agree with me a lot and uh it's tough you know um to work that hard um you know 12 14 hours a day um it's like a race you know and uh you know that that's tough and but you know but so when i went back the second time you know they talked me into it and okay we'll do it again and but the first day you're thinking good lord why on earth did I do this, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, it is tough, you know, it,
0: it, it's sort of like a bad drinking experience. You say, I'm never going to drink again. And then right. you drink ne- again,
1: I'm, right. I'm never going to do Jägermeister again. And then you get talked back into it.
0: And then you have to explain to the cops at three in the morning where your pants are, you know, it's right.
1: Just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it, you, it's, uh...
0: Yeah. It's, you, you, the way you explain explained it, it's like a race and yeah. what a lot of people don't again realize is that when you run a heads up car or a you know a, a high maintenance level car is that race weekends are brutal they are even when everything goes right you're best exposed to maybe a sleep deprivation experiment and yeah, you're just right. tired things go yeah. things go wrong and you feel like you've been in a plane crash on monday
1: yeah right <clears throat> Like... yeah, well, that, that, that's the way this is, except it's planned. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and it lasts, you know, two weeks instead of two or three days, you know, um, and it is absolutely, you know, you only have X amount of hours in the day and you're allowed to work on the car and, you know, and, and in our case, we know, all right, we're going to, we're going to be at this point by the end of this day, if not farther. Right. So it's just all hands on deck, uh thrash until we achieve those goals and, you know, everybody on the team is, you know, super good at what they do and generally able to pull it off, you know.
0: I I cannot wait until people get to see everything that unfolded this year, because again, it's, it's a, the the flavor of the show is definitely interesting for sure. And they're going to see things they've never seen happen, happen on the show. It's, it's wild. Like, yeah, and then right. you mix in the fact we're doing this during a global pandemic, and it just takes it to an entirely different level of you know, yeah, what right. the hell is going on? Yeah, it's like, yeah, right. Well, this isn't hard enough, you know. Yeah, they're let's, juggling, this. let's add this. Yeah, they're juggling flaming chainsaws on a unicycle. Let's shoot them with paintballs.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we yeah.
0: And we try to come up with new ways to I I I say torture the most genuine and loving way to to challenge the teams every year because you got to, you got to keep changing things and you evolve the show. And I think it, with it being on Mav TV this year is again, it's part of what you're seeing with the evolution. I'm really hoping it catch, like you said, it catches on even more and people go back and watch those first couple seasons to really get into it. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I've got all kinds of bad ideas for shows that would have been fun where I was like, you know what we need to do is just literally you tell them to show up and there's a pile of parts underneath yeah. a tarp. And that's right. what you have to use. You know, it's like yeah, right. It's like Iron Chef. You know, today's special ingredient is small block Ford.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's where that inventiveness, you know, or uh, creativity comes into play, you know, because you just got to, you know, make do with what you got. Yeah. You know.
0: And it, it takes it to, because then, again, you'll see who the good builders and tuners are. But the only downside to that is, like, you are really inching closer to that catastrophic carnage level of not having four cars at the end of the day yeah <laughs> which yeah. makes for good tv makes for a bad right. race
1: yeah right yeah it's it's a lot of tension like i say that that first year was it just worked out good i think you know it just made for you know like lightning in a bottle, you know. Hard to do twice probably. But like you say the 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 race of champions thing you're talking about, I think that would be a way to, you know, oh. redo that maybe. It'd be
0: epic. It would be so so epic and then you mix in a fourth team that's completely out of left field like right. I've, you know, I've said from the beginning, you know, let, let's bring in, you know, some of these people that have said it's super easy or you know, let's let's find like a legit professional team to, you know, you know, expose them to this torture test and see what they think of it, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: They're they're used to working in this, you know, spotless NASCAR shop. Here's a one bay garage and some jack stands. Have fun, Billy.
1: Yeah. What happens when they, when they get the tables turned a little bit, you know,
0: (laughs) you know, this year has been pretty wild in drag racing. And like I said, there's no real off season per se you know, going into the new year, provided things, you know, get back to semi-normal, you know, in the radial tire world, what do you think is going to be, you know, the big thing we see next year? You know, the 350s this year were pretty wild. You know, we've seen some pretty some pretty impressive performances. What do you think is going to be, you know, in 2021 that people need to pay
1: attention to? Well, I mean, in the radial world, all these classes are just going to keep on going faster. You know, they, they, they keep on trying to, you know, slow things down, but rarely are they successful in doing that. No. You know, and it's like, for example, I was looking, I've kind of been out of the X scene, um, for a few years now for the most part. And, uh, but I remember what we used to run and this was back when the cars were running four sixties, you know,
0: and that was fast, and,
1: uh, right. That was fast, you know and then but now obviously they're four or five tenths faster than that and i was looking at talking about somebody's talking about the rules or, or something and in some cases the same combination is like four or five hundred pounds lighter you know and it's like wait a minute how'd that happen you know so it's not like they've picked up you know 600 horsepower in the motor it's just that the class has evolved and changed. It's the kind of natural progression of things, you know, and, uh, you know, that's hard to restrain. They're trying to do it in LDR and, uh, you know, um, maybe they'll be successful. That to a certain extent, uh, you know, it needs to you can't just let things go out of control. No, but there's just a, a natural evolution that things just go faster and faster and faster. Obviously, everybody just waiting for somebody to go 40s in RVW, you know. Um, uh, you can argue the, you know, whether that's a good idea or not. I think it's kind of hurt the class a little bit. <laughs> Some the way the rules have gone, you know, the car count's kind of down. You know, yeah. But you know, there's all going to be there's always going to be that handful of guys that are going after it at that level. You know, so um, there's somebody willing to do it, and it's just a matter of time before they do. You know, it's
0: yeah, and you know that's the thing I was talking with the roads about last week. It's like you know there was a time where we were speaking in hushed tones about someone running three fifties and now we're like, like legit, where's it going to end? Like, yeah, you, you got to ask yourself, is forties the edge, you know, like seriously.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just it. Like if you look at it from a almost, um, philosophical standpoint, right. Um, three, you know, uh, is a radial tire you know it seems to me that the fastest way down the track for any drag racing machine would be on a super sticky track i.e a radial track right so you know what were to happen if we have a you know larger pro mod style radial right and you run those things like a uh that's essentially what we have now but just the, the tire's relatively small or you know, so what would happen if, if that weren't the case, right? And I've heard rumors that that's being developed, right? Well, then how fast do things go? Oh, jeez. You, know, you know, so um, you know, uh, you know, but then that gets back to our earlier conversation: is is that a good idea? <laughs> you know, <laughs> do we really want to put down that much glue every weekend? Let's just
0: know? let's just not even like. In theory, it sounds awesome to see a pro mod on a big ass radial right but good lord you open that box and it's who knows where we're gonna and
1: i think sometimes that kind of takes the driver out too because you know these guys that have been running pro mods on slicks and stuff for years a lot of them they know when that thing's moving around they that's nothing abnormal for them they're used to that right whereas the radial stuff is just on rails and um you know, some of those drivers have never had to drive anything that's a little bit of a handful like that, you know. Um, and so every you know.
0: pro mod racer that I've talked with that's run stuff on radials says, and some people are not going to like what I'm about to say, and that's perfectly fine. But they have said it is easier to drive on radials because it's more predictable and it's more planted, whereas on a slick, you like, it's literally like you're trying to drive a boat that's trying to go 200 miles an hour
1: yeah right well that's that's it with uh you know um with the with a slick you gotta wrestle that thing a little bit you oh, know yeah. um with a with a radial you know you can't do that right i tell drivers don't tell the car to get back in the lane ask it to you know um and what i mean by that is don't be whipping on that wheel up there you know no <laughs> whereas with a slick you kind of got to a little bit you know yeah um but you know that's the difference between the two
0: it, it's like tr- like running a pro mod or you know a high horsepower even outlaw ten five car. It's like trying to wrestle a three thousand horsepower drunk person. It's just yeah, right. all <clears throat> over the place trying to fight you and do weird stuff. A, yeah, a radial is it's a go or a no go situation.
1: Yeah. Now I will say this: that another thing that I have seen that's kind of the, the opposite of what we're the direction we're going here is I have seen pro mod racers jump into radial situations and next thing you know they're in the wall right and that's because they don't know what to do when it zips the tires and they think it's going to come back right when it ain't going to come back it's over with you got to know when to say all right well we'll try it again next time and the pro mod racers aren't quite used to that you know and how quick that thing comes loose and tells you the party's over you know Um, and, and some of those guys, they, they, it takes them a few laps to get the hang of that, you know, and if, you know, the situation gets out of control in one of those earlier laps, it ends up costing them, (laughs) you know,
0: for me, you know, standing trackside shooting pictures, a lot of these events, nothing is more, in my opinion, that like makes me nervous is when you see someone start to overdrive a car like that rarely does that end
1: well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And you yeah. got
0: you got. To, honestly, you got to be more lucky than good because I've seen yeah. some guys at the top end, especially quarter mile pro mod racing, that have tried to put on you know the big magical S man suit, and bad bad stuff happens in a hurry.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's just it. And uh, you know the other way goes too. Like for example, we put slicks on beer money to race no prep. So for Lyle that was really a double change, right? You know, on one hand, it's a way slower car than he's used to driving, right? But now he's on a slick that is alien to him. I don't think Lyle had really ever drove much slicks before this, right? He's been on rails, you know, his entire career. Very familiar with them, but more or less unfamiliar with the, uh, the slick tire, right? And then you combine that with an unprepped racetrack, And you've got a car that moves around a lot, you know. So I think it took Lyle a second to get used to that, but now he's taken to it just fine, and he knows he's familiar with it, and he knows what to expect, you know. But just like anything, you got to do it a little bit to realize, okay, this this tire's different. It's gonna we're gonna move around a little bit, but that's part of the you know the plan here, you
0: know. You you know what's coming, and it's not quite as much of a a scary shock.
1: Right, you're ready for it, and you're not you're not as concerned when it starts to yaw around a little bit and move about. You know, yeah, the, you don't want to overdrive it, but you know, you, you're kind of you, you learn what when when is the where the, the edge is at. You know, I
0: call it the acceptable level of sketchiness.
1: Right, exactly. There's you, a point where you need to you know you got to lift, but you don't. You know, I've had other drivers where they 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 get really uncertain down there and they're they lift too soon. You know, they they can they can't complete a pass because you know it's moving around. Well, it's yeah, that's just how it is. It's gonna move around, you know. Um, And some of them can never grasp that, you know. But your good drivers are gonna be able to figure it out.
0: Well, Pete, our time here on the podcast is coming to an end, and I like to give my guests their opportunity to. uh, do their shout outs, John Force styles and let people know where they can be found out what's going on and, you know, who they need to thank and everything else. So I'll, uh, I will turn the floor over to you so they can let you, you can let the people know where to find more about what you got going on uh, everything else.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, well, I, I run Peril Engine and Dino, or HED as most people know it. Um, you can find us online at uh, uh, HED is rad.com, H-E-D-I-S-R-A-D.com um the phone number and everything's on there or just on facebook we're easy to find you know but um you know that's pretty much it you know we work with a lot of vendors and build motors do tuning probably uh you know more than we can handle but um we do all kinds of stuff fords ls's you name it we do it
0: literally that is the greatest website address i've ever heard
1: well that's why we named it that way
0: You talk about having a website address that is going to stick in people's minds. That right. is marketing genius, right there.
1: Right. Well, we we also have the best uh, the best. Uh, I guess you'd call it theme, right? And that is uh, our what is our slogan? I guess you'd say. And that is real good at doing stuff. That's it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> literally, that right there is that is a stroke of marketing genius that isn't too far either way. It's just. You hear that and you're like, I'm gonna remember that.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm expecting Chevrolet or Dodge or somebody to call me any day and offer me millions for that.
0: But. <laughs> millions for your, your your southern charm and abilities, right? <laughs> right.
1: Hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but any minute, you know.
0: It's just like playing playing lottery, right? You know, it's gonna happen, right. I swear.
1: Yep, yep, this time.
0: Well, Pete, thanks for coming on the show and we look forward to see you at the track soon.
1: Yes, sir. Talk to you later.
0: Well, that wraps up the show for this week. Thanks for Pete for stopping by. And as always, may your reaction times be crisp and your wind lights bright. Till next time, folks.